Well, if you're just jumping in today, we're glad you're here. We've been in a series now. We're already in week five. It's called In the Light. We're going through a book in the New Testament called 1 John. And over and over in this book, we see this phrase, which is where we got the title of the series. And we're gonna be picking it up today, right where we left off last week. If you have a Bible, we'll be in chapter two of 1 John, starting in verse 28. We'll get to that passage here in just a second. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. We'll put all the verses up here on the screen for you. But the title of today's message is three words, position, place, pursuit. Now, by the end of our time together today, those words are going to make a lot more sense. Those words are gonna serve as a framework for a statement that we're gonna build together. And that statement that we're gonna be building is the movements that this passage takes us through. If you've been with us so far in this series, you know that some weeks, the the verses can kind of be all over the place. We're tackling a number of different things. Today, we're gonna be in kind of in one line of thought. There's kind of a thematic movement in this passage. And what I've done is I've broken it down into three smaller passages. And then you're gonna leave today with a statement that my hope is It'll be easy to remember. See, when we look in God's word, God speaks to us in real time. But what we also wanna be able to do is put God's word into practice on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday. And so what I hope you see today is a way to actually do that, to be both encouraged and challenged by God's word. But let me give you a couple of disclaimers before we jump into our text. One, this message is for believers. So if you have been born again, if you've experienced salvation, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, a Christian, this passage is really geared towards you to help you see the implications then of what that means, which means whether you're here on our campus or joining us online, if you're just checking this out, what does it mean to actually be a Christ follower? You haven't yet made that decision yet. I can't think of a better message or passage for you to see because there's a lot of perceptions out there of what it means to actually be a Christian, of what it means to be a Christ follower. And I think this passage will shed some light on what that looks like. And as we go through it, and as we unpack this statement, it's going to seem incredibly simple. It's like, well, then why don't we just all live that way? And so what I've done is I've built into the message some things that keep us from that. And this is meant to challenge you. So as we read God's word and we see the truth of it, we then have to be confronted with this question. Why am I not experiencing that reality? So we're gonna look at both of those things today, the truth and then maybe some of the things that are tripping us up along the way. So let's get started. Verse 28 of chapter two of 1 John. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. This is John referencing the return of Jesus. That in the first century, John's already told us they were in the last hour. Certainly, we are still in that in the 21st century, waiting for the return of Christ. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, don't miss this, that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. So this phrase, children of God, is gonna serve as one of our anchors today that we're gonna circle back around to in just a moment. See, the reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, now that we are, phrase again, children of God, and what will be has not yet been made known. What's he saying there? Well, we're children of God, but there's still a little bit of mystery to this. So we haven't fully experienced the full implications of what that means because Jesus hasn't returned. We have not yet passed from this life until the next if our death here precedes his return. And we're not exactly sure what all of that will be in our resurrected state because we are still here in this present state 
on earth. But then he gives a little bit of clarity, giving us hope for what we can hold on to. We know then that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him in our glorified state. For we shall see him as he is, and all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So let's kind of take the first statement of our larger statement today that we're gonna build around this word position. See, here's the truth for this first passage. You, Christ follower, born again believer, have the position as one of God's children. That's what this passage is saying. And if you're taking notes, you can jot that down. You have the position as one of God's children. Now, you've probably heard that before. You may have even sang the song, Jesus Loves the Little Children. So you're like, I I'm not really sure how profound that is, but let's kind of step back into the first century for a minute. Again, new Christians, and here's what they know. Jesus paid the price for my sin. I should have paid the price for my sin. Jesus defeated death through the resurrection. I believe he is alive. What we're describing there is God's mercy, okay? So we should have paid the price for our sin. They understood that in the first century. But God's mercy allowed Jesus to pay the price for our sin. But see, now what John's doing is he's gonna move us away from mercy to try to help us understand a little bit more this idea of grace. See, what grace does is it bestows upon you something you didn't deserve. It's one thing for God to not hold your sin against you. It's quite another thing to give you the rights and privileges as one of his children. And this is what John wants us to see that you actually are one of God's children and you get to operate from that position and you get to claim the rights and privileges therein too. That's a big legal word for you, okay? That's what this means. But see, for many of us, we don't wake up every day and go, I am so glad I am operating from the position of one of God's children. Even though it's true, oftentimes, and I hope I'm not the only one, that's not exactly how my reality feels. So there's so many times in our lives that what's true isn't what we are experiencing. So let's unpack that for a second. Why is it that we don't sometimes experience the reality of what it means to operate from the position of God's children? Well, the first reason is that we have some misplaced authority in our life. See, God can call you one of his children because of what Jesus has done and how you've been reconciled back to God through Jesus. And God says that in his word, which is authoritative, but oftentimes in our lives, we've given someone else that authority. See, whoever and whomever's opinion of you matters the most to you determines who you are. You're looking to that person for your identity. And oftentimes in our lives, we are looking for someone else to give us the position that God has already granted us. It's very subtle. Maybe you grew up in a home where you never felt like you earned the approval of your father or the approval of your mother. And your entire life has been an effort to somehow gain their approval. Might I suggest with a little bit of love, tenderness, and graciousness this morning, you've misplaced some authority in your life. That your parents were never supposed to be the person the people to tell you who you are. It's easy to do this in a marriage. See, a spouse is a wonderful gift, but if you are looking to your spouse to primarily give you your identity, your spouse will never give that to you. And unless you're gaining your identity and your position as one of God's children from God, your heavenly father, you will never be able to serve your spouse the way God has intended. See, so many times we give someone else in our life the authority that God says is his. And here's what God says about you. You're one of my children. Yeah. 
Do not misplace that authority or give it to someone else. Let me give you another reason that we don't experience this oftentimes. It's because we've embraced too much the secondary roles in our life. So let's see if we can unpack this. You have the primary position as one of God's children, but as we go through life, there are many roles that you will have, and they're not bad. So I'll just kind of go through my roles. I'm a, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I am a son, I'm a friend, I'm a pastor. These are all roles, they're good roles, they're important roles, but please don't miss this, they are secondary roles. So what happens is we try to find our primary identity in a secondary role. It's a formula for disaster, okay? I mentioned being married earlier. My wife, Morgan, and I, we've been married for 20 years. Can I tell you what Morgan was before she was my wife? She was my sister in Christ, and I was her brother in Christ. And guess what? For all of eternity, that's what we will be again, brothers and sisters in Christ. And Morgan as my wife, husbands, listen to me for a second, okay? Morgan as my wife, she does not belong to me. She belongs to God. Morgan is one of God's children. She doesn't belong to me. God is allowing me the opportunity, and it is a wonderful opportunity, might I add, (laughs) to serve her as her husband for however long he sees fit, okay? It's all about being a parent. We have three boys. I love our boys. Sam, Jacob, and Henry. Those boys do not belong to us. Those boys, their primary identity is not as sons of Adam and Morgan. Their primary identity is sons of the Heavenly Father. They're God's children. They don't belong to us. God is allowing us to serve them for however long he sees fit as their parents. And here's the thing, it's a stewardship for how we serve in that role. Hey, there's nothing wrong with being ambitious in your career. In fact, this world needs more Christ followers to be ambitious in their careers. Can I get an amen? We need that. But if you try to find your primary identity or your primary position and whatever it is that you do, you will always be left wanting. Do you see how subtle this is? That the good things in our life can begin to compete for the primary position that God has given us, which is one of his children. And let me give you the third reason that we oftentimes don't experience this. We've convinced ourselves that this reality is based on contingent behaviors. Now, you know what that word means, right? it means it's all dependent upon. So here's how this works. All right, pastor, I'm tracking with you. I'm, I'm one of God's children. That makes sense. Primary position. Don't give in to the secondary roles as long as I keep walking with God. That's a contingent behavior. As long as I'm not sinning as much as I used to. Contingent behavior. As long as I'm coming to church, as long as I'm giving, as long as I'm going on mission trips, as long as I'm obeying, as long as I am keeping my act together. You can't keep your act together. What are we talking about? We mess up every day. But we convince ourselves that this whole reality is based on how we obey. Can I give you some good news this morning? Your salvation was a change of identity that is not contingent upon your behaviors. A change of identity. God's given you a new name and you're not powerful enough to change that. You can sin as much as you could ever imagine. It will not change the new name God has given you. He's called you one of his children and that position is secure. Now, you do need to work on your behaviors. 
But that's called discipleship. That's called a lifetime of spiritual growth. That's called Holy Spirit. I mean, can't we all look back and go, wow, there were some things that at one point in my life, I didn't really think it was that big of a deal, but over time, the Holy Spirit began to show me, I need to move away from that behavior. And we did, and we walked forward. But it's not like we turned from it and never turned back again. Aren't we just like that dog in the book of Proverbs that keeps going back to his vomit? What a nasty verse. That's in the Bible. It is. Good verse to teach your kids, by the way, all right? Don't go back to that. Don't go back to that. But the lifetime of behaviors matching up with the identity God's already given you, that's what it looks like to walk by faith. See, we have three boys. And over the lifetime of our relationship, my guess is there's gonna be some up and downs. We've already had a few, okay? But as they get older, we'll have a few more. We may not always see eye to eye. They might even do some things that I don't necessarily approve of. I might even have to hand out a little discipline along the way to the glory of God. I might have to do that as a dad, okay? And they may not even like it. And they may get to a point in their life where they're like, this guy, he's not my dad. Guess what? They don't have the authority to make that call. The fact of the matter is I'm their dad. That's been established. That position is secure. And see, the same thing is true between you and your heavenly father. Now, here's the thing. If you don't operate from that position, if you start living a life counter to who God says you are, if you really don't care about your behaviors or your sin or all the other things in your life that are counter to who God has called you to be, you're gonna quench the Holy Spirit. You're gonna mess up some relationships you're gonna bring some unneeded destruction into your life. And at the end of the day, do you know who might be the only one still there for you? God, your heavenly father. Because of who he has said you are. You are a child of God because of the position he has granted you. Let's keep going in this passage. Verse four. Everyone who breaks the law, in fact, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. That's what I just said. Your behaviors are eventually gonna begin to align with the identity that God has given you as one of his children. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Don't miss this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Praise God. Jesus destroyed the devil's work. But here's the thing. The devil still does a lot of work. And he's still doing a lot of work in this world. And you may think, how is it that that the Son of God destroyed the devil's work and yet all of this stuff keeps happening in the world, that's actually where we're going next week. The next week, we're gonna see John give us some clarity to that question. So let me encourage you to be here next week as we unpack that. But for today, let me tell you the second part of our statement and what this second passage is saying. We've already talked about how we have the position. You have the position as one of God's children. Here's the second implication. It means you get to live from a place of victory. That's what this means. Jesus has already defeated Satan. 
That has already occurred. I was sharing with a team earlier this morning. So um, as a kid growing up in Georgia, early on, um, I became a Georgia Bulldog fan. To the glory of God, I might suggest. So, so that, that happened. But we were terrible at basketball. So when I was in kindergarten, I adopted... Some of y'all are gonna be okay with this. Some of y'all are not. We're getting to know each other. We're gonna move this one slowly. I adopted the North Carolina Tar Heels as my basketball team, all right? So I know, I know. We worked so hard for unity. We did communion, and then I just dropped that, okay? So, uh, so those are my teams growing up. So um, I'm not sure if you keep up with college football, but one, two, two in a row national championships for the Bulldogs. This past year in the playoffs, down by 14 points, fourth quarter, didn't look good. Other team could kick a game-winning field goal, didn't look good, and in real time, I was kind of stressing, but when I watch that game now, no stress, down by 14, I'm like, this is gonna be fun, isn't that cute? Lines up to kick the game-winning field goal, and we got this, and this is actually the disposition that we're called to live in this crazy world. All this evil in the world, isn't that cute? All this destruction, everybody losing their mind. I'm glad we get to live from a place of victory. There's actually a peace and a calm that comes from knowing we've actually already won this battle because of Jesus. Do y'all hear what I'm saying this morning? That is a place of victory that we've been called to live from. But you got bills to pay. You got a boss that is not good. And it is hard to live from a place of victory. So why is it then that we don't oftentimes experience this? Well, here's the first reason, a wrong battlefield. Sometimes we're engaging the enemy in a wrong way. You, you do know the enemy's after you, but sometimes we fight the wrong battle. See, if you're a Christ follower, born again, promised eternity with God in heaven forever, child of God, the devil can no longer touch your soul. Jesus has claimed you for all of eternity but he's gonna go after your mind. For the Christ follower, the battlefield that you will engage the enemy on is your mind. And if you don't know that, you might be fighting the wrong battle. You might be on the wrong battlefield. In fact, if you look for it in the New Testament, post Acts chapter two, after the Holy Spirit descends, it seems to appear that for the majority of the time, we engage spiritual warfare first and foremost in our mind, in our thoughts. This is why over and over we're told to renew our mind. Over and over we're told to walk in the spirit. And if no one's told you this lately, the battlefield for your life is actually in your thoughts. It's in your mind. So let's talk about that for a second. What's one of the other reasons that we don't experience this? Well, it's our default thought patterns because the battlefield is our mind. What's a default thought pattern? Something no one has to tell you to think. You just do it. It's just your programming. It's your wiring, oftentimes learned in the home you grew up in, oftentimes learned from just life experiences, that anything can happen and your thoughts go in a particular direction. You don't even have to tell them. They might go to being incredibly pessimistic. Uh, maybe it's uh, fearful. Uh, maybe it's insecure. Uh, maybe it's uh, self-pity, doubt, overly optimistic. You ever known that person? Don't point, that's not nice, who just everything's always roses. They won't just engage problems. They're, oh, it's all gonna be fine. That's overly optimistic. And so it's a default thought pattern. Now, let me tell you why that matters so much. Nobody has more conversations with you than you. I mean, you're doing it right now. You're doing it right now. You're like, yeah, I think it's week five. Today's been okay. You know, not as good as last week's message, but you know, you're kind of doing this, right? You know, 
it's all right. Worship's good. I didn't know one of those songs. Like you're doing it. Those of you online, you've already opened up another browser. Come back to me. Join me, all right? Come on. <laughs> Stay with me, all right? We do it all the time. We got all these different thoughts rolling through our head. And here's the thing. We never stop to think about our thoughts. We think about what we say. We think about what we hear. Rarely do we think about what we think. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Think about what you think. Begin to recognize your default thought patterns and ask yourself this question. Why am I thinking it that way? Why am I reaching that conclusion? Why am I interpreting this particular thing that way? And what you'll often find is you're meeting the enemy in that question. And the enemy has actually been fighting you in your default thought patterns and you never even saw it. It's the battleground. We've got to fight so that we can live from a place of victory. Let me give you another reason we don't experience this. Other voices. See, this isn't your own default thought patterns. These are the voices you're letting into your mind. And you do know that the enemy will use any voice he can to get into your mind to begin to get you to live opposite than from a place of victory. So here's a question to consider this morning. Who are you listening to these days? And how is that affecting you? And do you need to make some changes? See, if the people who are closest to you in your life are not speaking words of life to you and over you, perhaps it's time for a change. See, this is one of the reasons why it's so important to have good, close friends who walk with Jesus. Now, you need to have some good, close friends who don't walk with Jesus because Jesus wants to use you in their life. But if you don't counter that with some people who are also walking with Jesus, who are speaking words of life into your life, it's gonna be incredibly difficult to live from a place of victory. So whether it's a discipleship group, whether it's in our student ministry, whether it's with, on Tuesday nights up here with Abby and the single adults, there are many communities in our church where people are gathering together. And here's the thing, they're just speaking words of life and words of encouragement to each other. Do you know what no one has ever said ever in the history of the world? This is a big, bold claim. I'm literally saying no one has never said this in the history of the world. You should probably write this down. In the history of the world, no one has ever said, man, I'm just way too encouraged. Never. <laughs> ever. No one's ever said that. And if you don't have some voices speaking that into your life, you need to find that. But then here's the thing. You also need to take inventory of the voices you're letting in. I mean, if you like social media like I do, but being on social media gets some voices going in your mind about everything your life isn't, it's time to take a break. If you like to watch shows, like we like to watch shows in our homes, just like everybody else do, but the shows you're watching are leading your thoughts to a place that's keeping you from living from a place of victory, it's time to find a new show. See, we have to take inventory, church, of the voices we let into our lives because it matters. And many of us are being robbed of the joy of living from a place of victory quite simply because we're not paying attention to the voices that we're letting in to our lives. And so you have this position as one of God's children and you get to live from a place of victory. And what we're gonna see from our final passage is the reason why all of that comes together. So verse nine, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. We've talked about that already. Because God's seed remains in them, they can't go on sinning because they've been born of God. So if that's you, you're claiming the name of Jesus, 
but you live this habitual, perpetual lifestyle of sin without any type of conviction or remorse, what God's word would say is perhaps you never were born again. You just signed a card, walked an aisle, or made a commitment. But see, if you've been born again, the actions of your life are gonna reflect the change of heart that you have experienced. God's word gives us this accountability. Verse 10, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Wouldn't you love to be called the child of the devil? This is what the Bible's saying right now, okay? Pay attention. This is how we know, children of the devil. Hello, let's pay attention. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or Sister John did it again, y'all. Did y'all notice that? He keeps bringing it back to how we treat each other. He just won't let us off the hook. You can't just do this, oh, it's just about me and God. No, it's about you and God and your brothers and sisters. This is how we're evaluated with our love for God. So let's kind of put all this together. Last part of our statement. If, if we've got this position, you have a position as the as children of God. So you can operate from a place of victory. Here's the reason why. So that your life can be an active pursuit both of God and the things of God. Do you see the incredible gift we've been given to live a life of actively pursuing God? Y'all know none of us would wake up on our own and do that, right? I don't think y'all knew that. You're not gonna wake up on your own in a lost sinful, broken state and say, I'm gonna pursue God. It's one of the gifts God's given you. That when he rescued you and saved you and redeemed you and placed his Holy Spirit in you, he began to shift your desires away from this, the things of this world towards him, towards the creator of everything. That you actually get to pursue God and the things of God. What are the things of God? Things that are counter to anything we would pursue in a sinful state. Things like holiness, righteousness, fellowship, serving, loving. And this is what it means for us to actually walk this joyful life with God. But for many of us, our life is not marked by an active pursuit of God or the things of God. Why is that? Well, the first reason that we don't experience this is we're playing bad defense instead of good offense. Let me tell you what bad defense is, sin management. This is what bad defense is. Man, I gotta stop doing that. I don't know why I keep doing that. Focusing on what you need to stop doing. That's bad defense. Instead of pursuing God, which is good offense. See, let me tell you what good offense looks like. I don't know if this is true for y'all, but I'm pretty sure this is true for y'all. It's really hard for me to sin when I'm worshiping God. It's difficult for my mind to wander to things that are not of God when my mind is focused on God's word. See, when we are actively chasing after God, we're on the offensive instead of being back on our heels. And some of y'all are on your heels this morning. You're focused way too much on the things you need to stop doing than the God you need to chase after. And that's what he's called us to. But see, here's the reason for many of us, that's not our reality. It's the second reason we don't experience this. We've never put together a plan. We just assume that because we've experienced salvation, we will pursue after the things of God. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. If you do not intentionally chase after God, it won't happen in your life. See, your salvation is a free gift. It's by grace through faith. But your discipleship takes a little bit of effort. You better set the alarm clock to get into God's word is what I'm saying. You've gotta have some intentionality. You've gotta have some purpose behind this. You're not gonna grow closer to God by osmosis. You've gotta actively chase after God. 
Someone says, well, pastor, I've been walking with God for 30 years. Maybe. Or maybe you walked with God for one year and you've just repeated that the last 29 years. There's no active pursuit. When's the last time you got a hold of God's word and said, I'm not letting go of this book until you speak to me today? When's the last time you said, God, you may not have moved in my life in weeks or months or years, but I'm gonna keep chasing after you because you're all that will do. See, church, unless we have that driving us, there are too many things in this world that will pull us away. And many of you have lost your joy for the Lord. And might I suggest it's because you stopped pursuing him. And I wanna challenge you. See, once you've experienced God, nothing else will do. But you gotta keep chasing after him. When we gather together to worship, we bring our worship. It's all we got. He doesn't need anything from us. And no one can offer your worship but you. It's an active pursuit of God. Let me give you the last reason we don't experience this as our reality. It's a settled heart on lesser things. You just get to a place in your life where you say, everything you just said, pastor, I totally understand that up here. That's just not my reality here. And it never will be. See, pastor, if you knew my story and you knew the things I had done, you would know why an active pursuit of God and the things of God is just not really in the cards for me. Maybe you're in a marriage and you just get tired of listening to other people talk about how great their marriage is because all it does is make you feel like you're doing this all wrong. And you've just reached the conclusion that for you, you're gonna be in a bad marriage. Maybe you had big dreams for what God was gonna do with your career. And some things happened, plans didn't go the way they would, and you just kind of settled into something else. And you just put that dream back on the shelf. I said, that dream's for somebody else and you've just settled for lesser things. Maybe you've got a, an adult son or daughter and, and that relationship is estranged and, and something happened a long time ago and honestly, that's not even really the point anymore. It's just gotten to a place where there really isn't a relationship and, and you've kind of just settled there into lesser things. And church, what can happen over time is the enemy can lead any of us to a place of complacency. Lesser things. And see, here's the challenge with that. We miss out on a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And if you are there today, if you've just kind of settled and said, this is gonna be my reality, might I suggest this morning that's not the voice of your heavenly father. That God wants to move you forward. That God will meet you right where you are and he will rekindle your heart, your passion, your fire, 
your pursuit. See, the enemy would love nothing more to than to just keep you there until God calls you home. Our God's too good for that. He's gonna move you forward today. Would you join me as we pray together? God, I just pray that in this moment, you would reveal to us where complacency has creeped in. We've just kind of settled for lesser things where we've declared that this is going to be our reality and we have forgotten what you've actually already declared over our lives. God, help us pursue you. God, may we confess in a moment of honesty that oftentimes that's not the first thing that we think of. God, we need your gracious reminders. And God, may we collectively declare today that even though we don't always pursue you, you've never stopped pursuing us. God, help us to live from the position of who you say we are. God, help us to be reminded that we are victorious. And God, help us to know you, not just about you, but to know you, to experience you, to walk with you, to sense your presence with us, to have the joy of our salvation as we walk with our heavenly Father. And so God, we thank you for that. And as we worship you this morning, God, would you just pour out your spirit? God, would you do what only a good heavenly father can do, which is speak to each one of his children individually with the word that you have for them today. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.